This episode of Country Squire Radio is brought to you by Missouri Meerschaum. We thank them for supporting this show, and we thank you for supporting them. Welcome to Country Squire Radio. I'm Bo. And I'm John David. JD! Hey, Bo. Good afternoon, man. Man, good afternoon to you too, sir. How you doing today? <laughs> I'm doing good, man. I'm doing good. It is, uh, I, I don't know, it's been a good week, you know, we, we've, uh, <laughs> It's it's been a good week and uh, yeah we're just uh, just trucking along man been painting on the uh, the baby's nursery there and um, man working on some new, uh, new working on some new tobacco blends at the old squire and uh, just a lot of exciting things going on you know it's a it's a hot summer but it's a good summer so uh, man things are things are good what's going on with you man in Houston man not much uh, had a great great last week happy Fourth uh, of July kind of I guess we're uh, a couple days yeah past, happy Fourth uh, that's right yeah happy Independence Day man. Man, I you know I had a really great Fourth of July. Um, we uh, some friends from uh, from our new church invited us over for a barbecue, and man, uh, just a great time. And you know, as, as someone who's kind of like new to the city and everything, starting to kind of establish some local friendships and everything has been really uh, just a huge blessing. If I'm being honest, man, a huge answer to prayer. And so, yeah. uh, so it's been good. It's been good. It's been a very. Um, I then went to like a kid's birthday party shortly thereafter. So it's been a very. Uh, uh, a very good last couple of days over on this side. Uh, I'll tell you this though. This is this kind of came out of the Fourth of July. I don't want to spend too much time on this because we've got an amazing show to jump into. But uh, while while there, we had some brisket uh, that was done in one of these Weber smokers. Have you ever you have a Weber smoker, the Smoky Mountain? I, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, I don't have one, uh, but yeah, I, I'm, I'm familiar. Okay, so here's the deal. I'm I, I'm thinking because we didn't get a grill when we moved, and I'm thinking I might get a smoker. I mean, you know, if you're gonna smoke your pipe, you gotta have a you gotta yeah. smoke your meat, right? So that makes yeah, some sense. Yeah, no, that's fair. Yeah, I'm I'm thinking though that um, I'm thinking about getting one of these Weber smokers, but I am open to suggestions. So I just want to put it out there if anybody's got some uh, <laughs> some tips on the right equipment. But um, yeah, I'm I'm kind of kind of anxious about getting one. But uh, yeah, oh, man, it was good Fourth of July. Did y'all do anything? You know, to be honest, we really didn't. Yeah, it was uh, it was that one one of those Fourth of Julys that uh, kind of you know fell in the middle of the week, and so um, you know we we tried to just take some downtime, ate some barbecue and that type of thing, but uh, it was just very low key, man. It was very very welcome. Um, so, but yeah, yeah, good good opportunity, man. Sit on the porch, smoke my pipe a little bit, and um, man, just eat some good barbecue and uh, and take a really inappropriately long nap. <laughs> well, I and think uh, I think you know. I was thinking about you know how much uh, consumption goes over the holidays. I was like, you know, I've, I've had a lot of bourbon, but you know, not not so much that I'm I'm too drunk, but not so little that it's un-American. Because you got to have that right <laughs> amount of bourbon and beef to really uh, celebrate America. Yeah. And, and it's a it's a good good time, man. <laughs> also, a great time at the uh, the Houston Pipe Club as well. Had their uh, weekly or their uh, uh, monthly meeting, and so it was great to go and seeing those guys. And uh, you know, I've mentioned it before, but a great pipe pipe club here. Uh, how are how are how's the uh, the old pipe club back in Jackson, man? I miss those guys. Yeah, man, people are great. It's been really good. We, uh, of course, uh, two weeks ago at our last meeting, got together and um, and you know watched Father of the Flame, which uh, which was so cool as a club, and uh, had a good turnout for that. Man, had some folks bring some food and whatnot, and that was that was good. But um, yeah, things are good. You know, it's kind of summertime. A lot of folks are out of town, and um, you know, it's just kind of here and there. But um, you know, for the most part, people stopping by the shop and enjoying their pipe and. Um, man, there's always uh, something interesting on the in the pipe scene uh, going around, of course, uh, in our neck of the woods. So uh, pretty pretty cool. Speaking of that, obviously, we've got, uh, you know, here coming up in August is the 49th birthday of the Country Squire. And uh, so, yeah, I know, right? We've got, uh, you know, big event for that planned August 15th from 6 to 9 p.m. We are so excited to be joined by uh, Max Stokeby, who is uh, no none other than pipe smoking royalty. And, uh, man, just really thrilled uh Max will be here with uh, Lane Tobacco and STG, uh, representing all their awesome brands. Uh, Peter Stokeby Tobaccos, Lane, uh, you know, some of our favorite tins like or- Orlick and Balkan Sassini and Escudo. Um, 
Man, just some great, uh, great tobaccos available there. Also, going to be joined by uh, folks from General Cigar uh, with uh, you know cigar brands like Diesel, uh, Macanudo, Punch, and Cao. So, uh, just going to be a lot of fun. So, again, August fifteenth uh, at the Country Squire in Jackson. And if you're around, we'd love to have you. Man, bring your pipe. Uh, it's going to be some awesome deals, and we'll have live music and uh, some some pickup foods and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, please come and enjoy. I love that you said that at the last uh, pipe gathering, y'all got together and y'all watched Father of the Flame. I've heard that from a couple of different folks in their, you know, their pipe clubs, their pipe communities have actually gotten together to watch this documentary that we reviewed a, a couple weeks back. And man, you know, we we um we were so thrilled to get the feedback from that review. Uh, you know, the the the, the guys behind the scenes that uh, have. Uh, worked so hard to create that film, actually used a, a quote from the podcast to help promote it out, which is a, a I was honored. I was personally honored by that. Uh, and then beyond that, I mean, like you want to talk about one of the greatest honors. We uh, got word from none other than Levon Eric that he also listened to the uh, to the episode and uh, wanted to come on and, and, you know, talk a little bit about the experience, share some of his uh, his life and legacy and, and the work that, that uh, he's he's done and the impact he's had on the pipe community, as well as just kind of some general behind the scenes not just of the film, but behind the scenes of the pipe uh, carving world. And so, man, I, I am so thrilled. You know, we, we are so uh, exceptionally thrilled to bring y'all this week's episode. Now, if you recall last week, we said that we were going to try, you know, we, we had wanted to have him on last week, but we had all kinds of bugs in the system. And so it took <laughs> an extra week to get everything worked out. But thankfully, we got a we got a new kind of a conference service that was able to uh, to provide the back end that we needed. And let me tell you, when you get Lee Von Eric on the mic, when you get some time with this man, you don't cut him off. You understand, like, like this is this is a man who brings <laughs> so much experience and so much, and, and and thus so much respect is deserved here. That you know, we're like, you know what? Let's not let's not put parameters on this. Let's 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 have let's let's you know, kind of free up the time for a, a conversation between John yeah. David and Lee and and see what comes from it. And uh, man, when I say that it was a conversation, we're splitting this bad boy up into a two parter. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of good content here, man. It's uh, it, it's it was just thrilling, obviously, to get to um, hang out virtually with you know one of America's most uh, well-respected pipe makers, right? I mean, golly, any anyone would w- want to do that. Um, but then also to get to to hang out with Lee on the you know uh, just after you know this uh, great documentary came out, and there's all this excitement, and uh, he's excited, and um, man, the 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 world is just kind of spinning uh, with all this buzz and energy it was just uh, just such a special time for us to get together with him and uh we were honored and thrilled and uh man just can't wait to see uh what you guys have to think about our uh, about our interview all right man well <laughs> without further ado let's go ahead and jump into y'all's discussion uh with john david and levon eric Man, we are so pleased today to be joined uh, by Lee Von Eric, and uh, man, just uh, what a what a great treat! You know, a couple of weeks ago we uh, reviewed the uh, Father of the Flame uh, documentary, and it was so thrilling to see that done for our pipe community. And um, it, it was cool because after that, um, I get this little ping right on uh, on Facebook, and uh, which happens occasionally, and um, it, it just happens to be one of America's most famous pipe carvers, uh, Mr. Von Eric himself. <laughs> and uh, man, it was just so cool. He, you know, was uh, talking about our, our review and of course the, uh, you know, the documentary and we just decided, man, this would be a great opportunity to reach out and have Lee on the show and man, just just talk about the documentary, but also get to know you more, get to know your work more and uh, some of your story, you know, maybe for those that haven't seen Father of the Flame and, and all that. So, um, man, Lee, welcome to the show. Glad you could join us. Oh, thank you. I try to give back to the community as much as I can. You can't be a professional in a industry where most of the people it's their hobby so you got to give back yeah and i do as much as i can like the seminar that i do at the chicago pipe show that's all pretty much gratis the first one i i took my whole shop apart and took all my machinery down for that (laughs) and the club started getting some equipment now we don't have to bring anything really it's all there for us like you said, the um, you know the nature of the pipe community is incredibly generous, you know, and folks are willing to support each other as long. I, I will say, as as long as the recipient is humble, 
<laughs> I well, think that's, that. yeah, <laughs> that's part of it. But by and large, I mean, folks are just really willing to give. And I mean, I think that was really evident during the movie and, and certainly, uh, you know, just the anecdotal things that folks have said about you and, and other pipe carvers uh, from the U.S. So, man, it, Lee, give us kind of a, um, assume that someone didn't watch the, the movie, uh, isn't familiar with your work. Maybe they're a newer pipe smoker out there, a newer enthusiast. Give us a quick 30,000 foot view of, man, who you are and your career and, and where you live and all that. I live too far north in Michigan. I've been making pipes somewhere in the neighborhood of 30 plus years. I'm not sure. I did a lot of pipe repair first. I got into it. I was at an age in a, in a different industry, different profession. And I was getting to the age where it was really starting to become too taxing. So I was helping a, a friend had bought a pipe shop in Green Bay, moved it up here. And he asked me to help him set up, so I did. And while we were setting up, the guy, the owner from Green Bay was here. The question of pipe repairs came up. And uh, the guy from Green Bay knew a man in Minnesota that was trying to sell a pipe repair business. So I got in touch with him, and we made a deal. He moved all the equipment over to Marquette. Spent about 10 days here showing me how to make, how to fix pipes. Most of it's facing bits. But there's always a shank that's cracked. There's other things that you can do. And I did that for a number of years before I even thought to make a pipe. And when the thoughts started fermenting in my head, first I thought, how are my pipes going to stand out from everybody else's? And I went through the process of going into a strange pipe store. What do you do? Because I was traveling a lot. And I'd walk into a store, and the first thing you're going to look at them, well, What's going to differentiate my Canadian or billiard, whatever name you, you know, insert the name of your choice here (laughs) from the next guy? Because first you got to catch their eye. Once you catch their eye, then they're going to want to hold it in their hand and it's got to feel good in their hand. Then it's going to be the smoking ability. Well, we've all heard the stories about grandpa breaking in his new pipe and how did fix that. Well, everybody talked about Wiley's at that time, and they talked about Dunhill's, and then, of course, I think Ashton does oil curing. Right. Well, nobody's going to tell you anything. You got to figure it out. So I took two or three years and developed an oil curing process before I ever made a pipe. (laughs) When I bought that repair business, there was a big box of, of, of pipes he called practice pipes. They were just cheap stuff. And I took those and threw the bit away, reamed it down the wood, oil cured them, put a bit in them and gave them away to friends and family or whatever to smoke. Once I got that working, then it was, all right, it works on used wood, but what about new wood? So I bought 75 pieces of the cheapest wood I could find. I think I paid a dollar seventy-five or something. It wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't, it wasn't plateaus, it was Ebishon. I got it from J.H. Lowe, when, and they were still in New York at that time. When, uh, when was this, Lee? How long ago was this? Oh, this was back in the early mid-80s. J.H. Lowe was still in New York. They moved down to Alabama, or to Georgia, Stone Mountain, and then Tim West bought it and moved it up to Columbus. So it's it's been a while. And with those pipes, I sold a few. Most I gave away. I had a lot of pipes or pipe shops that I was uh, repairing for, and I gave a lot of the, a lot of those pipes to the manager, the owners. And those pipes came with a evaluation sheet, and I threatened them with Guido if they didn't. <laughs> well, when I started getting those back, I knew I was onto something. There was, I still got them over in the file. It was all pretty, pretty gratifying what, what I was getting in those reviews. Yeah. So then I started buying uh, top quality plateau briar. My first briar I bought actually from Randy Wiley down in Florida. Riverside, I think he's in. Been a long time since I bought from him. It just, from there, it just exploded. Went on and on and on. Got bigger and yeah. bigger. No, it's it's great. And you, you talk about kind of the genesis of some of that in the you know documentary, but did you have any experience with woodworking before all this? <laughs> Outside of high school, no. Uh, yeah. I had a couple of sh- uh, shop classes, but basically that was it. Yeah, yeah. 
But I think you mentioned that your dad was a occasional pipe smoker. Is that right? Oh yeah, my dad smoked pipe a lot. Yeah, uh, so you were around it growing up. Yeah, I've still got uh, a bunch of his pipes. Most of them are uh, custom built, and uh, in fact, uh, there's a picture in the in the video of a custom built on the turntable. That's my dad's pipe. It's one of those that was that's over there. I started smoking a pipe really when I was in the army in France. They had cigarettes rationed on us, and we couldn't get enough to get through the whole month. So a lot of guys were smoking pipes. And again, the breaking thing came came in here. We had one guy in the outfit. Once a pipe was broken in, he didn't want to smoke it. But we were all <laughs> buying long champs in the PX for a buck and a half or two and a half size. I remember they were cheap being privates, you know. Well, the bits would be interchangeable. You'd buy a pipe and you'd give it to this guy. Forget his name. He was in a different platoon and he was from California. I remember that. And he'd break the pipe in for you. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Does all the heavy lifting, right? So you can, uh, yeah. you can enjoy that sweet smoking bowl. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's great. Well, yeah, you know, you, you are known, obviously, for making very high-end pipes, and, and the oil curing process is a part of that. So, uh, you, you had mentioned you were going to tell us your secrets related to that. Is that right? I don't think so. <laughs> Attaboy. Those, that's, uh, man, those, are, those have been hard-earned. That's right. <laughs> uh, there was a, a pipe maker, Sam Lerner. Yeah. Yeah, he was in York, Pennsylvania to begin with, and he ended up in North Carolina before he died. You know, he was actually a chemical engineer first, then a lawyer, and turned into one of the top patent attorneys in the country. Yeah. And Sam and I had dinner one night, and I brought up patenting it. And he said, you're better off not to, because if you patent it, then everybody can read it. Yeah. Change the thing, and they got a new patent. Yeah. So yeah. I never did patent it or, or anything. I just keep it under wraps. Well, and that kind of keeps the uh, keeps the folks guessing, right? Yeah. <laughs> like you said. Oh, uh, I, get, I get all kinds of questions. Almost every fight show, somebody's got to ask, you know. Yeah. And, and yeah. my stock answer is, because they ask, what kind of oils do you use? And my, my stock answer is, I drive a Jeep Wrangler. <laughs> <laughs> and that just that just leaves them with just enough information to uh you know to you know if it's five W thirty it's five W thirty. Well, if they're foolish enough to try it with with petroleum products, right? <laughs> oh, that's great. Uh, I haven't never heard from anybody that's tried it. So <laughs> <laughs> no, that's great. Well, uh, let's let's pivot a little bit towards the towards the documentary, man. I mean, uh, we, you know, I gosh, I, you know, where do we begin? It was such a monumental piece for our pipe smoking community and for the hobby in general. And I think folks were just really moved by it, by by your story, by Mimo's story. And gosh, wh- where do we start? I, I I guess I'd like to ask. You were already well known in the pipe smoking community, but now since this movie has come out, uh, you, you're you're somewhat of a of a buzz right now, man. What is that uh what does that feel like <laughs> it's very humbling uh if you when i was starting off if, if you would have said this is where you'll be when you're 79 years old i would have laughed in your face yeah I, I didn't expect to get here when i started making pipes there were a bunch of good pipe makers in the country and they have all dropped by the, the wayside because we went through a period where you couldn't give them away right but it's it's really very humbling it, i'm very happy with with the way it's being received i don't think there's been one well it, i guess there was one bad review put up on itunes or one of those places some guy he was two minutes into the thing and he said he was all upset this is about pipe smoking well duh <laughs> Really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know what he was uh, what he was anticipating, but he got it wrong big time. <laughs> yeah, good grief, guy! <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah. What What was it like? Uh, you know, working with Chad and Rush and, uh, and those guys. I mean, was um, did they did they approach you initially and were like, "Look, we'd like to follow you," or was it a was it a circumstance that brought you guys together uh, just randomly? How did that work? Well, that's one thing that that I made here. Kind of, it was about you know, what you guys were talking about. How they started uh, getting the story together. I'm looking here, the direction to go. How did, how did they figure that out? It started off really with a nephew of mine, a doctor in Grand Rapids, goes to a party, sees two guys sitting there. Rush is one of them. He knows Rush. They're sitting there smoking pipes. The other one turned out to be Chad. Okay. And he mentioned to them that they should get in touch with his uncle. He lives in the UP, makes pipes. Well, Chad and, and Russ started talking about this. And it was February, seven years ago, last February, we had a conference call. They called me. Uh, they, I think they sent me an email or something first. And they wanted to do a 20-minute documentary on me. And I refused. I said, no, you have no idea what this is. <laughs> I said, you have to come to the Chicago Pipe Show in May. That will give you an idea of what this whole thing is about. And I really think that that's where the storyline started because they did come to that show. They filmed Mimo and I at that show. They did. They filmed around. They were they went nuts. Every time I turned around, they were filming something else. And I think really think that's that's where the the storyline got started because they liked the way Mimo and I interacted. Since Mimo's dad died, it was after that, maybe a year later, uh, I saw Mimo in Chicago, and he said, now that people's gone, he said, you can be my American father. Uh, wow. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. The The rapport between you and Mimo, obviously, throughout the the whole movie is is highlighted and it's obviously it's obvious that you guys are have a lot of affection for each other, but also respect each other's work. Uh, oh, yeah. greatly have, have learned a lot from each other and it's so encouraging. So kind of what you're saying is that they approached you, we're going to do this 20 minute documentary on you and you kind of, you shot them down because you, you, you needed them to realize kind of what they were getting into as far as the pipe yeah. universe. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I couldn't see 20 minutes down in my shop and around here, you know, <laughs> uh, when it's such a worldwide thing. Yeah. You know, I had been to Italy, I'd been to Germany to pipe shows, I'd been to Denmark, I'd been to Russia, I'd been to China, uh, Japan, I'd been to Singapore, and, and I had been with pipe smokers from all over the world. And really, outside of the size of the show, getting together with pipe smokers in Japan is no different than doing it in Chicago. Yeah. Bigger or smaller, that's the only, the only difference. And it's the same thing in Russia. Those guys get together once a year, the first weekend in December. They have a pipe show in, in St. Petersburg. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Mimo's, when Mimo, he hasn't been uh, making pipes all that long. When he started, some of the other pipe makers were getting upset. And what are you talking about? The guy hasn't got time to be making a lot of pipes a year. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know? He's got to be cutting briar. That's his bread and butter. Yeah, that's how he's paying his bills, right? <laughs> yeah, by making pipes. Now he understands our problem. It's just going to make him a better briar cutter. That makes a lot of so, sense. You know, I'm sure things that you can only learn by working with the briar in that way. You know, this is the guy, if he's going to continue to be the premier, you know, briar supplier for all the world's artisans, you know, he's going to have to continue to develop his craft. That's very obvious through the movie that he's very committed to that. So it makes good sense. And his wife too, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, the way I met Mimo, one year at, at Chicago, Mimo wasn't coming to Chicago yet. I know Teddy Knutz, and I asked Teddy if I could buy maybe a dozen pieces from his from his shop that he had, that he didn't want. And I gave him some money at Chicago, and I got a box of briar. Boy, was it nice stuff. Whoa. <laughs> so the next year, I see me, I got a triple A out of that one, out of that shipment. The next year, when, when Teddy shows up, I see him at the bar. That's, we could smoke inside at the bar by the elevators there. Uh, he's sitting there, and I go up to him right now. Teddy, can I get some more briar? <laughs> he kind of pokes the guy sitting next to me. So why don't you just buy it from this guy? Here's where I get it. And it was Mimo. Wow. So the next day, or it was on Sunday, I guess, Sunday morning. You know, things really 
crash on Sunday for us. Mimo comes by my table and he spent about two hours talking to me, looking at the pipes that I had there, what I do, how I do it. And we had a long, long, long discussion. And from then on, it was, he had trouble getting his briar to Chicago. Uh, it would get stuck in customs in Chicago. So he, I would order one box of number one and one box of number two every year. And he sent me as many as 12 boxes of briar. And mine would be number one, number two. I'd just leave them here and I'd bring the rest down to him because wow. I'd drive to Chicago for the show. Well, now, then he got hooked up with... Uh, Norris, and he's a distributor, and he's sending him stuff during the year, too. But he still ships to me. I, I got a shipment last February, and I'll, I'll go over and pick some. One of the things I noticed in the film was all those bins on the wall, plastic yeah. containers. Each one of those bins is for a pipe maker. And when Mimo gets something, that'll be good for Teddy. That'll be good for Former. That'll be good for Rasmussen. Wow. And Teddy's got a house that he and his wife live in in the summer. Uh, 10 minutes away from Mimos. And Teddy will come down. He'll go through all the bins and pick out the pieces he wants and put them in his bin. <laughs> and when he leaves, Mimos got to go back and put them, put them more. Them. <laughs> <laughs> man, it, Lee, it sounds like you might need to take some vacations to Italy more often, right? You, you got to play the game, man. <laughs> I, I would love to go once a year. Yeah. Uh, I have been there and I have picked Briar in Mimo's place. And one year I went to a pipe show in Cuxhaven, Germany, and I brought an empty suitcase, a big one, with my little one with clothes in it inside the big one. And um, had Mimo bring up a box of briar for me. Customs kind of went nuts with it. <laughs> I, I can only travel. imagine. Yeah, I don't travel with uh, check baggage anymore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. So, okay, you've got... You've got these interactions that are happening with uh, with Mimo. Y'all are developing a relationship, and and then you know you meet these uh, you know squirrely young filmmakers from down on the the mainland, right? And they're wanting to chase you around and and get some footage. And you know once they once they started getting you know the idea for hey, this is going to be a bigger project than we had anticipated. What was your thought then? Were you uh, were you kind of bought into the idea of the the movie, or were you still pretty skeptical? No, I loved what I loved what they were doing. I saw a lot a lot of stuff that has hit the cutting room floor for now. They've got enough footage for a miniseries on television. I encouraged Chad to come to Tokyo for the, uh, just to get the, the opening, the start of the smoking contest, because with the Japanese, everything is so formal. I mean, there's three guys on the stage in tuxes wearing white gloves. You have no idea what they're saying, but every once in a while, they, uh, they strike this big gong that goes off. And <laughs> once they start once they give the the signal the light, you can just see the fog rise in the room. It shows in the in the video too when they were in Cologne. That was the national or the international pipe smoking championships. That's how they got to Cologne. Wow! And then in Japan, Sykes Wilford has a, a young man. His last name is Shimizu. Was born and raised in L.A. to Japanese parents, so he speaks both languages like. They're both his native language. His folks had, when they retired, moved back to Japan. Now Shimizu had gone back there too. Sykes hires him as a guide and an interpreter. Well, he said, Sykes, I, I, I think he paid him. I don't know. Maybe he didn't. Shimizu was the interpreter for the interview at Suge Pipe Company. Okay. And out of Tokotomi, where they, the whole thing was in Japanese in the thing, but you had English subtitles under it. Right. So he got, he got that while we were we were there. We uh, he got that, and he got a lot of other stuff. Uh, we got kicked out of a shrine. Um, <laughs> what did you do in the shrine to get kicked out, Lee? <laughs> well, we didn't really get kicked out, but uh, Chad wanted to go over there one afternoon, and just walk around with a camera and, and film me walking around there. Yeah, so and I told him, I said, I don't think we can do this in here. <laughs> sure enough, we didn't get very far, and here comes a couple of security guys. No, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> so, You've got cameras and your your pipes with these burnt offerings. You know, it's uh, <laughs> the 
the camera jet's got, I don't know how he carries that all day long. It's so big. <laughs> well, were, Lee, were these, were these trips that you had already planned on taking and then the, the, you know, uh, the film crew came along with you or were these kind of coordinated trips that y'all said, okay, well, let's do this, you know, so that we can, so that we can make the movie. There were two trips that they took uh, outside of being at Chicago. The one to Japan, Chad and I set that up. We came, we went on different flights, but we got together in Tokyo and went home on different flights. The one in Europe, Chad went over with, with three other people. There was four of them. I think they spent 18 days over there. They started in Copenhagen. That's why when they were in the Danish bike shop. Yeah. Then went to Lars and while they were with Nana in Copenhagen too. Then they went to Lars place. Then they went down to uh, Cologne for the international championship. And that's where, while they were there, they got into Peter Heinrich's pipe shop. It's world famous. Mm -hmm. That's the one where he goes up the pipe and talks about Van Gogh. Oh, man. His 12,500 euros. Well, I went and checked on the internet. 12,500 euros comes out to 16,600 and change. U.S. dollars. <laughs> I loved that moment in the film that made me really happy. You know, as as a retailer, um, you know, we have we have guys that come in all the time and ask, you know, well, well I don't I don't understand why would someone spend, um, you know, this on uh, on a pipe? You know, they may be talking about a, a Savinelli or a Peterson or one of our American artisans, and you know, they they don't understand why would you pay more for a Van Gogh than you would some hotel art? You know, it's the same thing. <laughs> Yeah. From there, I don't think I've seen any film, I don't remember seeing any film, where they visited a German pipe maker. Then they went down to St. Claude, France, and filmed at Chacon. Right. I had a great time at Chacon. Have you been to that factory where Antoine's uh, shop is down there? I haven't, no, but I do want to go. Yeah. Uh, Someday, someday when I'm at, because he's not that far from Mimo. Meanwhile, right. 40 minutes from the Nice airport, and I fly to Amsterdam to Nice when I go to see him. So he isn't that far away. Um, from there, then they went to northern Italy. Uh, they went beyond Mimos, over by Milan, Milano. They visited Savinelli, and they visited Costello. And they visited a couple other. I have seen footage of a couple other artisan Italian pipe makers. But I don't mm-hmm. remember who they were. In, in Italy, if a town's got ten thousand people, it's got at least five pipe makers in it. Come out <laughs> of the There's more pipe makers in Italy that you've never heard of than there is that you've heard of. Believe yeah, There's it's like you can't you can't throw a stone and not hit one, right? <laughs> exactly. That's a good way to put it. That's amazing. And then I flew into Nice. Mimo picked me up. And it was that day that uh, Chad and the boys came to Taja. That They came in late afternoon, early evening, I forget now. And we spent the next day then is when we drove up in the mountains, uh, over to Tuscany and up in the mountains. And we were over there about four or five days. Yeah. Uh, now those, those guys you saw digging the, the briar, they aren't Italians. They're from somewhere in Eastern Europe. And I don't know, I forget which country. Yeah. The man they work for, Esquel something, uh, has crews in that whole valley. There's a great big valley there. And Pasquel has got all the land tied up in agreements for harvesting briar, whether it's government land, private land, whatever, for harvesting the briar. But there is wow. briar everywhere in Italy. Like, have you seen it just quickly have you seen the quality of you know briar change within your career uh, you know coming out of there you said there's a lot of briar has you know is the is the quality now similar to what it was when you got started oh yeah uh when i got started after buying from wiley i ended up buying from uh, greek stuff from greece tim west got in touch with me one time and a bunch of guys were getting together and we bought a whole container full and when it hit the U.S. shore was broken up and sent to wherever it was going. 
there were nice pieces in there, but they were far and few between. Cut right, cut the way Mimo cuts them. Cut Mimo cuts the briar different than anybody. There's yeah. a couple of other uh, Italian guys that, that bring briar to Chicago that are starting to learn to cut like Mimo does. Hmm. But Mike Uterra found people uh, many, many years ago when when he left the insurance industry and got into first he was just making pipes he made a trip to italy and visited a bunch of pipe makers or briar harvesters or cutters yeah briar cutters and people was the only one that would listen to what he wanted and cut it the way he wanted hmm. and he passed that on to mimo and now mimo selling to the rest of the world yeah it's getting hard to get too yeah. much yeah. Number one grade. He's got so many good pipe makers. There's some real dandies coming out of Eastern Europe and Russia. China's got two or three that are really, really, they make art. Real yeah. art. Yeah. You know, uh, like Alex Florov does, some of his stuff. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's very, people buy it and just uh, display it. They don't even smoke it. You were talking about, you know, going over there, you're up in the hills and they're just briar all over these mountains, right? And it just how prolific that is. Did you, was that your first time seeing the briar grow kind of in that natural habitat like that? My first trip to Mimos, I told him I wanted to go and see briar growing. Yeah. I said, you want to dig briar? I said, no, I just want to see it growing. <laughs> I want so, you to dig it. <laughs> yeah. Within 10 minutes of his house. We were back up in the mountains and pulled off on this little, looked like a driveway to somebody's house. And we get out of the car and we go over. It's growing right alongside the road. And there's a tree that's about this big, briar tree. And he digs around the bottom of it. And he said, oh, this burl's too small. It only had a burl about this big. He goes right next to, to the next one where the tree was maybe this big. And it had a burl this big. Wow. Which, you know, just doesn't make sense to me, but that's the way it is. I took some close-up pictures uh, of it. It kind of looks like spindly cedar is the only way I can describe it. Now, are you talking about the heath tree? Yeah, and it grows a very tiny little blue flower. It was in the fall when I was there. You know, strawberry wood grows right alongside it. Right. And it, it grows a berry, and it grows a burl. And the berry looks like a raspberry, but it tastes like a strawberry. <laughs> I ate them when we were in Tuscany. <laughs> and while I was with Mima, while we were, we were looking at this briar, we hear this donkey brand. I turn around, there's a donkey down the road that went off in a gate, and he's braying at us. And it was <laughs> like, you know, he always heard stories about him. They brought the briar out of the mountains on, on donkeys. Here we are, Briar, in donkeys. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. Man, what an awesome, awesome discussion, man. Like you talk about Isn't it fun? Two two legends coming together. Like I, I really enjoy just sitting back and, <laughs> and listening to you guys go at it. Oh, dude, man, two legends. I, I don't know, man. I, I'm I'm just glad to be in the same uh you know virtual room with uh with Lee. <laughs> breathing breathing the same virtual air, man. Gosh, he just uh he's such a kind man, you know. And he's uh, he's he's fun and quirky and he like you know he's got that little twinkle in his eye when he's got something uh, something funny up his sleeve and yeah just <laughs> it, it's been such a joy getting to know him and uh, man I you know if you enjoyed this week's uh, uh, you know interview and, and episode uh, obviously there's a lot of really great content here but um, man next week uh, when we dive back into this uh, interview with Lee and finish up uh, I, I think there's some more gems that you'll re- be really uh, really happy to happy to hear and. Um, anyway, looking forward to, to finishing it out next week. All right, man. Well, hey, of course, this was a, a great, uh, great first half of the interview. Looking forward to next week. But, you know, one thing that you don't have to wait for a week for that you can actually enjoy right now is your good quality corncob pipe from our good friends at Missouri Meerschaum. That's right. That's right. Of course, uh, Missouri Meerschaum, we are so thankful for them for sponsoring this show. And uh, man, just a great, uh, incredible, uh, you know, selection of pipes, all different sizes and shapes and price points, uh, all of them very, very affordable. The one we're talking about today and really have been, uh, you know, uh, thinking of a lot lately just because the uh, affordability paired with the uh, the size, the value, the character of this particular pipe is the Great Dane pipe. Uh, the Great Dane, uh, it's a real nice chunk 
smoky uh, bowl pipe. It's uh, got just a real classic, interesting look to it, and it's one of those that uh, I think is just um, just very much. Uh, you know, d- deserves a, a place in everyone's rotation, particularly if they want a corn cob pipe that's a very, very high quality. So uh, today we're talking about the Great Dane Spool. Uh, the Great Dane comes in comes in two different ones. The Spool is the one we're featuring today. Has a bent and a straight stem, and uh, it, it's a nod to old world craftsmanship and styling of Danish pipes from the 18, uh, 1980s. Designed to fit comfortably in the hand, both right and left-handed smokers, the trusty and familiar spool is a longtime mainstay in our line of larger filtered pipes. This pipe accommodates a six millimeter filter and has a genuine hardwood insert in the bottom of the bowl. Uh, it's available in straight or bent, and is included in our family of two pipe gift sets. So, uh, just a beautiful pipe. Pipe. It retails for twelve fifty nine, and uh, again that that spool. It kind of uh, I always tell folks it kind of looks like a little peanut, you know. <laughs> you kind right. of have that peanut shape, but because of its uh, contour, it just fits so nicely in your hand, and uh, I think it'll be a really nice addition to anyone's uh, anyone's pipe collection. All right. Well, hey, if you've got a great day and be sure to smoke it this week, take a picture of yourself doing so and send it in to us. We love retweeting that out to let the good folks at Missouri Meerschaum know we appreciate them for sponsoring this show. Pipe question of the week. All right, man. Pipe question of the week coming in from Jason Breeden this week. He says, hey, guys, I've got a question about a tin tobacco that I've acquired. Recently, a friend mailed me a couple of nice assortments of tobaccos. Shout out to my buddy Josh in Minnesota. Uh, one of those tobaccos was an unopened tin of Cornell and Deal Buffalo Soldier. At his request, I'm allowing this tin dated May 10th, 2017 to age Uh, before I open it. My question is this, is there such a thing as aging a sealed tin tobacco too long before it actually starts to do more harm than good for the tobacco inside? Jason Breeden. Man, I, this this is a great question because I actually had a similar question I was going to ask this week, but uh, but man, you're, you're kind of covering it. So this is great. Yeah, no, this is this is great, Jason. I, you know, it it's so interesting to me. We have all these folks that they buy uh, pounds and pounds and pounds worth of uh, tin tobacco and set them back. Um, you know, thinking that um, you know it's a it, it's just a, a foolproof way to uh, you know maybe set aside as an investment or uh, you know something like that that these tobaccos will stay good for uh, forever and ever. Now the you know if the tobacco is sealed properly, it will be smokable for a very long. Long time, but there is a peak in uh, you know how these different tobaccos are. Um, you know, when they age and, and really the, you know, how the magic takes place in there, at, at what point does it, is it not really doing any good anymore? Is it more harm than good? It, you know, Jason, what I would say with particular tobaccos, you know, particularly those Virginias that have a lot of natural sugar, uh, Periques, uh, you know, Latakia, uh, you know, these are tobaccos that do age well. They do uh, marry up well over time, uh, particularly in a, you know, a, an environment where there's little or no air. Um, and, and it's it's just kind of sealed up, but the problem is, is, at some point these tobaccos are going to peak, and and you just won't reap the benefits of that anymore. And so instead of smoking tobacco that is super flavorful, you're just going to smoke something that's very very mellow over time. And so um, you know, you, you've got this tin. It's dated May tenth uh, of of 2017. You know, let that joker sit back. You know, maybe four or five years, and then man, uh, which is which is right up to about you know we're getting getting pretty close there, I guess, to the time, and um, man, and and then smoke it. You know, I, I think at that point. Um, you're going to start to see diminishing returns uh, based on you know putting that putting that tobacco back. Um, you know, folks uh, over the years have had this great uh, pleasure in aging uh, you know things like Christmas cheer and tobaccos like that for you know in some case 20 years. Um, is is it fun to smoke a 20 year old tobacco fresh out of a tin? It is, but a lot of times that tobacco has kind of peaked. You know, if you would have smoked that tobacco maybe you know five or six years after. After um, you know, after the uh, you know tobacco was packaged, then that that probably would have been like really optimal as far as you know maintaining the complexity of the tobacco, the sugars, the smoothness, and all those things. Um, it, at some point, they just start to mellow out pretty pretty good. You know, the same thing happens with cigars too, right? The uh, cigar eventually it. Um, you know the the leaves are marrying up really well, and then eventually it just kind of kind of fizzles. The magic it it's uh it's the returns diminish and maybe uh, maybe flatline completely. Wine does the same thing. We see that 
that and all all types of different um, you know consumable products like that. So. Um, you know, I would uh, I would I would put it back for a few years and then uh, man look forward to enjoy enjoying it. Uh, you know, maybe early in the 2020s and uh, and man call today. I think that's the way to go. All right, well, great question, Jason. And hey, if you got a pipe question of the week, be sure be sure to send it in at show at countrysquireradio.com. Again, that's show at countrysquireradio.com. Quick fire with the squire. Quick fire question, Jones. All right, man. Quick fire questions brought to us by some great Country Squire radio gear. That's right. I'm talking about the awesome t-shirts available at thecountrysquireonline.com. All right, man. So Lee Strickland and Rob Silverberg have actually, uh, or Robin rather Silverberg, have actually sent in these quick fire questions. I got a bit of a jumble together. Are you ready for this? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Bring it. All right. Now, uh, hmm. Okay. Uh, you know, it, it's one of these things, like I'm reading this as I'm about to, to say it out loud and I'm already reacting to the difficulty of answering this question. <laughs> Here we go. Fried oyster po-, po boy or fried shrimp po' boy? I'm going to go with fried shrimp. I like a fried oyster po' boy, but when I think of po' boy, I think of fried shrimp. So I'm going to go with that. Okay. Okay. Um. Yeah, definitely fried oyster all the way. Uh, shrimp it should be boiled or grilled. I am not a fan of fried shrimp. You don't like fried shrimp? I really shrimp. don't. No, no. I, lo- I mean a shrimp boil. I'm there for uh, shrimp on the uh, on the old barbecue skewer type situation. I'm I'm all about, but uh, I don't know. I think fried shrimp just kind of takes away from the experience for me. But I know I'm in the yep. minority there. Like I'm gonna we're gonna get some feedback. <laughs> all right, check tool or pipe nail? Check tool. Ah. 10 times out of ten, I guess. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I, I you know the check tool. I um. Uh, that that little pick that's on there yeah. uh, helps me a lot. The weight of it compared to a pipe nail. Uh, I do like that the pipe nail has a rounder bottom. You know, it's not the the right. check tool kind of has a um, kind of a half moon tamp on there, maybe a little more than that. But um, and and the pipe nail has a has a nice you know circular bottom. But um, man, other than that, I, I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with the check tool. Man, I love my check tool. So this is this is tough because I used to be pipe nail all the way, but I've really converted to the check tool more <laughs> more recently. Um, so I mean, like even if you go back, I'm sure this has been asked in the past, or, or maybe even when we did the uh, the check tool episode, I, I talked about how I kind of preferred the 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 classic standard nail type. But no, man, the uh, the check tool. You're right; that pick goes a long way, especially when you're you're fighting with your bowl. Sometimes <laughs> it's nice to have it. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. yeah. So I'm gonna go check tool as well. All right, next one is skiing or snowboarding? Uh, I'm going to go with skiing, and I've never done either. <laughs> really? <laughs> so I've never done either. Yeah, I, ne- I never have. So, I, yeah, I'm going to have to go with uh, with skiing because, in my mind, I, it's probably the first one I'll get to uh-huh. of, the, of the two. Yeah. <laughs> snowboarding, to me, has always seemed the easier of the two, though I have never snowboarded. And I'm not even sure that what I've done before can be considered skiing by people who actually ski. You, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, I remember yep. very specifically, this was a couple years ago, my dad took uh, me and my brothers for like his 50th birthday on a ski trip. And, um, you know, which is, you know, just, a, it was, it was kind of one of those great, you know, uh, brother, father, son type of, uh, type of trips. And a lot of good memories came out of it, but they had all skied before. And I did not. Uh, and so I ended up spending the first half of the trip with like the the bunny class or whatever it's called, where it's like all these. Yeah, the bunny slopes or whatever. Yeah. yeah. And like these kids and they teach you how to walk and everything. And then when <laughs> I finally actually get on the slopes, I'm so terrified by all the stuff they taught us that I only like went down the, I guess green is the lowest tier. So whatever is right below green. <laughs> <laughs> like right like yay i'm moving in a relatively downward fashion hurray, hurray. <laughs> and i could never figure out how to, to stop appropriately other than throwing myself on the ground which which kept really really hurting so yeah i'm i'm not uh you you and i man we were we were born here in the heat we weren't made to ski or snowboard but um yeah ski, maybe water skiing right maybe that <laughs> maybe that but i'll, I'll say snowboarding just because it seems like the easier of the two and uh yeah I, but i haven't tried it all right and then finally the last two airplane or train I'll go with airplane. I, you know, I think in the U.S. we just don't have like a lot of our our, 
our uh, infrastructure isn't really set up great for trains, you know, Um, so I don't, yeah, here I don't have a lot of awesome experiences with trains, so I'll go with airplane. I might, you know, I might answer differently if I was from like the UK or, you know, Germany or somewhere like that, Japan, but yeah, I I don't know. I guess, I guess I'll go with airplane. I really wish that we had high speed rail, man. Like I would be all about airplanes every chance I could get. Um, I'm sorry, all about all about trains. Trains. <laughs> My mind is all messed up, man. Uh, I'd be all about trains every every single chance I could get, man. I, I love flying. Don't get me wrong, but you know, you get on the observation deck, you get your, you know, you got Wi-Fi, you've got your computer out, you're getting work done. You know, you, you got the uh, you get the cocktails. It's it's all it's all great. If if you can get like a nice you know swanky, I want a train. Here's, here's what I want. I want a train <laughs> with that classic like that classic aesthetic, but that goes at like the high speed monorail type deal. Can we get that? Anyone, please? Yeah. Maybe? Yeah, like the, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so sit down with the little, uh, you know, the nice tables and they, they wheel out the carts and such. And uh, yeah, that'd be amazing. But anyway, so there there you go. That's <laughs> us. Uh, let us know uh, what you guys think. Uh, always love getting these quick fire questions in. Send them into the show. Show at CountrySquireRadio.com. Your thoughts, your comments. Listener feedback. Listener feedback coming in. Mm-hmm. Okay, this is great, man. We've got uh, we've actually got some international reviews coming in from iTunes. You, you want to hear some of this? Oh, that's great. Okay, yeah. That first one from iTunes Canada, man, from uh, HF77. What do they have to say? Yeah, HF77 says, great podcast. I really enjoy listening to Bo and JD. They're knowledgeable, fun, and entertaining. I've learned so much via their podcast. I encourage all to listen. Cheers from Canada. That's great, man. Then iTunes UK, we've got Shunka uh, fifty seven and uh, John David. If you would please read that in a uh, British accent, I, I I will not, but I will be glad to read it. Shunka <laughs> <laughs> fifty seven, love the show. Hey JD and Bo, I have been smoking a pipe just short of a year, and a few mates suggested I listen to your podcast after learning uh, after smoking the Lancaster and White Rose at the UK pipe show. I listened to the past few months. And now, in between your episodes, I am going through older ones. You share some fantastic advice uh, with comedic value. <laughs> Thank you so much, and keep up the good work. Have a good day. Um, so, man, that that's great. From Chunka57 on uh, iTunes UK, man. So grateful for those international iTunes reviews. Yeah, you know, I was recently reminded, I think, via Facebook that... Um, you know, you have to go in and actually adjust the uh, the iTunes uh, national settings to figure out where all your uh, to to see basically uh, reviews coming in outside of uh, the U.S. So uh, yeah, I'll keep a, I'll keep an eye out there. I, I did like I pulled up one on on like iTunes France and. Um, it's like, oh, I, I don't know how to read this. Same thing on iTunes in, in Italy, uh, <laughs> written in Italian. Awesome. Thank you all so much for that's tuning what, in. That's what Google Translate is for, man. We got to we got to pull out the translation. Yeah, that's that's uh, that's good. Yeah, we need to. We need Probably to poorly translated. Uh, that's, it's always a risk, right? Like Google Translate could be something totally incorrect. I, I don't trust it. I just don't trust it yet. But um, I tell you what, man. And one thing I do trust is uh, is man, the the fantastic voice featured in on this episode. Of course, big thanks to Levon. Eric for joining us uh, this week and next week. Be sure to tune in next week for the second part of that uh, interview. And uh, hey, look, we'd, we'd love to hear from you, by the way, in between the weeks. Be sure to reach out to us. You can uh, reach us on Twitter. I'm at the real Bo York. I'm at John David Cole, or you can get us at the shop at at underscore Country Squire. Of course, the show's handle is at Squire Radio, but all that and more can be found at CountrySquireRadio.com. All right, John David, that was good. Dude, I had fun, man. It was great. Uh, man, look forward to part two next week. And man, as always, uh, it was fun, fun hanging out, brother. Hey, let's go have a day. 